Hello and welcome to another episode of the Deaf Think Podcast with you, your hosts, Nicola and Sean. And today we again have each three links for you. So Sean, start us off. What's your first link for the past week? All right. My first link is a very serious one. Unfortunately, it really only applies to the U.S. right now, but other countries are also being assholes and this has to be addressed. So the government is trying to basically outlaw encryption and the link is to EFF.org, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, which I donate to every month. And they try to protect our online rights and privacy. And anyone who can should contact their Congress people and tell them don't do this shit. And as always, they always make everything about basically they say there should be no encryption on the planet that the government can't get into, which means there should be no encryption on the planet because any planet that one person can get into another can get into. And they say it's all about terrorism and child abuse, which clearly that's bullshit. They just want access to everything and the laws that exist to protect our privacy were written before the things like encryption were possible. And so they're trying to fix that. So anyway, I may sound a little pissed off about it and that's cause I am. And also <laughs> the math is out there, right? Encryption is math. It's out in the public. It's completely open. That means it's impossible to get rid of it. So if you outlaw it, it'll be like they say, if you outlaw guns, only outlaws will have guns. Well, if you outlaw encryption, literally only the terrorists and child porn abusers are going to be the ones using encryption, which means good people, law-abiding people, are going to be subject to having everything they do online, which is most of what we do with our lives these days, spied on by the government. So, uh, no. Cool. Interesting. Although we already are. And a very good series on that topic is the Americans love that show. Anyways, cool. Uh, my first link, the title of it is Building Trust with People and Software. Uh, and again, this is a post where the actual author talks, <laughs> the actual author, that's a good one. The author talks about how trust is crucial for a productive team. Okay, that makes sense, right? Where he basically says that it might take time to build this trust, but you have the tools to do it. And then he goes into these, you know, let's say tools, how to do this. And basically what he says is that all you need to do is to be consistent and follow these guidelines that again, he talks about. And uh, what he actually very much stresses, which I totally agree with, is the one-on-ones, well, basically, where basically he says that if you don't have high quality testing and frequent one-on-ones in your team, he actually recommends that you start working on it. And he then nicely puts that, you're going to thank me later. I totally agree with the whole one-on-one reasoning that's you know crucial. And basically the thing is that here, the way he wrote this post and similar other posts is that he draws, uh, let's say, a line between software uh, patterns, let's, let's say it so, and uh, management, right? And here in this case, he's basically saying that uh, having testing is as crucial as having one-on-ones on your team there. Okay, good. I was going to ask the question then, because I agree that testing is important and I agree that one-on-ones are important, but 
it didn't seem like they were both arguing for the same thing. They're completely different. So you're saying this guy writes kind of analogies where he parallels some sort of soft Excellent. skills thing with some sort of technical Excellent. skills. Yeah, thing. That's the, that's the word he draws an analogy between the two. Oh, very interesting. Cool. Well, sounds like something I should have to read. Cool. All right. My next one is comic relief and we, uh, don't need to go into all the politics and world news and talk about COVID-19 and things like that for many reasons. Cause it's overdone all over the internet. And because this show will be out on the internet many years after this is no longer relevant, but I do have to make fun of this individual and call them out for being a douchebag. So this person, there was a New York times story about a guy in Tennessee who rented a truck and drove around buying all of the hand sanitizer and Clorox wipes from every store. I think he even traveled to two other states to get as much as he could, and he has over 17,000 bottles of hand sanitizer. And his entire plan was to wait for the world to run out of sanitizer, and then he's going to sell it on Amazon for way over the price and make a ton of money. So he did that, and as soon as he started selling it, Amazon shut him down and blocked his account, and they did a news story about how this guy has 17,700 bottles of sanitizer in his garage, and he can't sell them, and I was like, you know, F this guy, and then a day or two later, the story was updated, and the office of the attorney general of the state of Tennessee has sent him an official cease and desist letter, and I don't know if there's going to be prosecution, but they are requiring that he turn over all hand sanitizer, medical masks, or other medical goods or products in his possession, custody, or control to the attorney general's office for examination. So I say, F this guy. I hope he goes to prison. I know he won't because it's probably not a criminal act, but like, seriously, I think I'd like to start a GoFundMe campaign and raise a bunch of money to print, print a bunch of shirts to say, screw, and then this guy's actual name. And then print like 10,000 t-shirts with that on it and give them out to anyone in his hometown. And I just want people to wear them. I just want him, every time he goes to the store, I want everyone to just know this guy's an asshole. Interesting camaraderie that you have going on over there. Uh, okay, a little bit more technical. Uh, my second link is titled, Efficiency is Not Our Goal where the author basically talks about that a good engineering department optimizes for total throughput. And then he goes on to how basically there are times when throughput is reduced by inefficiencies, where there are, some, for example, other times when throughput is damaged in pursuit of efficiency. Now, a bunch of words, right? What this actually means is that he makes this example of... Um, Two co-workers working on different projects, but then them having them uh, basically write a common, let's let's say it, common module so that they would, you know, in future be able to work together. And it, in the end, of course, that was very efficient, but the problem was that it hurt the what's it called? The throughput. Why? Because they had multiple meetings to get together to figure out the common interface, which by the way, we don't need to even say that, say that, but down the line, it totally changed. The requirements changed for 
per project specific, right? But the point was that, wow, this is very efficient. If we build a totally new one, we're going to be able to reuse that. But again, that didn't happen. So he's like, let's be cautious with how we, let's say, try to too much work on the let's just be efficient and be cognizant of the fact that by trying to be as efficient as possible, we don't actually hurt our um, throughput. Where basically this feature, whatever they were working on, could have been done in, let's say, a day. But first they had to uh, get together, then come and agree upon an actual interface for it. And then when they implemented too long, then the read version is they basically took each a week where in fact it could have just been done by them in one day on their projects, right? So there, an interesting an in- interesting post actually. Yeah, and I disagree with the very idea that yes, it's more efficient to have the single you know, project or sig- library or whatever it is because I understand the theory that if you do it that way 100% of the time, then over time, if it's reused enough, you make it back with interest. But as you said, requirements and interfaces change, and that's a guarantee. And it reminds me of one of my favorite quotes about, uh, I don't know about software engineering specifically, but it definitely fits, which is, in practice, the difference between theory and practice is much greater than it is in theory. (laughs) Cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So my last link. Um, Apparently, there is a very large overlap between geeks, programmers, technical people, and lock pickers, people who pick locks as a hobby. And they buy practice locks and they buy different locks on the internet and practice picking them and maybe even go to gatherings and conventions. And I have never been that interested in it myself, but there is a guy on YouTube who goes by the name Lock Picking Lawyer. And he's apparently a lawyer who... Gets, you don't say. Yeah. And he picks locks too, uh, believe it or not. And so he picks locks and he talks about how they're constructed and he gives his opinion of them. And it's very interesting and it's fun to watch. And most of his videos are really short. Like a lot of them are like two to three minutes and some are maybe in the five to seven minute range, but they're not long. He doesn't have an intro with theme music and big splash screens. He doesn't say, like, share, and subscribe, you know, annoyingly, you know, in every episode. He doesn't pad it with a bunch of crap. And he just gets right to the point, shows you what he needs to show you, and uh, it's fun. So I'm putting a link to one he did where he was talking about a deadbolt lock bought at Walmart. And shows you not only that it was easy to pick, but why it was easy to pick. And that even if it wasn't easy to pick, the way it was built makes it completely worthless for protecting your house. It's practically easier to just kick in your door with this thing because it provides no, almost no value than it would be to pick it. So check it out. Lock picking lawyer. And that's it. Cool. My last link is titled My Approach to One-on-Ones. Hey, Nicola, what's this week with the businessy stuff? Well, you know, you got to read that sometimes as well, right? Uh, in this post, the author talks about how he does his one-on-ones and what questions and how often he asks them, right? He emphasizes, emphasizes the importance of relationship building through personal chat, which I totally agree with. 
again, this is not if it would if all that you do in your one ones is just a status report, then honestly, this just could have been an email, a chat, you know, Slack message or whatever. The point there is that you build trust through, well, talking about not just work. That's it. Okay. Cool. I agree with that. All right. So that's it for this week, everybody. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the episode and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.